what if? What if? It's an interesting question, isn't it? I'm sure you've asked that question of yourself at different times in your life. I don't really think we get a choice if we ask that question. But we do ask it. And we ask it at all sorts of different times. I'm sure you've asked, what, what if? What if I had tried more things? What if, what if I hadn't procrastinated about homework when I was a kid? Or about assignments when I was at college? What if I hadn't quit that job, that apprenticeship, that club, that sport? What if I'd tried to work harder at that friendship rather than just let it fall apart? What if I didn't give as much time to such and such? What if I made more of an effort with my family? What if I didn't get so absorbed in the social game of acceptance? What if I wasn't worried about how many followers I had on Facebook or Instagram? What if I'd done more when I was younger? What if? I often find myself that I come to certain stages in my own life. You'll see from the newsletter, thank you Trevor and Margaret, I have a birthday this week. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but the older I get, I seem to get to birthdays and, I don't know, there's that little bit of regret there that kind of looks back over the years. My gosh, if I've got regret, dear Trevor, wow, <laughs> 90 whatever years. But you get to these stages of life, don't you? And you look back and you can't help but wonder, well, what if? What if things had been different? What if I tried this? What if? What if? And it often carries with it a sense of regret and missed opportunity, a sense that there was something, maybe something in front of us that we could have experienced, something that would have made, maybe just for a moment or, or maybe for a season, possibly though for an entire lifetime, life richer, fuller. I'm not the only one, am I, who asks that question? What if? What if? Oh, it might have been difficult if you had done such and such, but what if? It might have cost you. When I was in school, I wasn't particularly clever. I guess I've come to more academic things later in life, but uh, I wasn't clever enough to do O-levels. Do you remember old O-levels? You have to explain these things to the kids of today, you know, with their GCSEs and all of this. So I did CSEs. Do you remember those? And uh, I remember my English teacher, Dr. Anstey. You never forget a good teacher. She was good. Dr. Anstey said to me, Mark, you know, you've done really well in your English language, and uh, I'd like you to think about doing an O-level. Because at O-level, you'll be able to read set texts. You'll be able to read things that perhaps you've never read before. 
And the idea of that really filled me with a sense of, wow. And I never did it. And I can remember thinking to myself, what if I had? When I got to Corsham, to my first church, Priory Street Baptist Church, I remember going to visit the church secretary one day. Her name was Anne. We sat down at her coffee table, and uh, I can remember it vividly right now, having fresh coffee. And we sat there, and she said, I don't know uh, if you've got any spare time in your schedule, Pastor, but I'm thinking of taking an adult English class at the local college. We're going to be studying Chaucer, Dickens, Shakespeare. Would you like to come? What if? What if? I sometimes look back on those days, and that is the question I have. What if I had? What if? But there's another option to this what-if stuff as well, isn't there? And that comes when the question is asked in a slightly different way. Because you can ask it like this. What if I try a little harder at college this year? What if I embrace the fact that with the passing of time, Anno Domini is ticking away, isn't it? What if, embracing the fact that time is running out, I make the most of my time that's left? What if I consciously, deliberately try to spend more time with my parents, with my children, with my grandchildren? What if I refuse to be paralyzed by the fear of failure and try some new things? What if I accept myself for who God has made me to be and stop trying to squeeze myself into everybody else's mold? What if? What if I choose grace and humility over pride and arrogance? What if I seek peace rather than seeking always to be right? What if I wrestle through my doubts on faith and God? What if I really try to grasp the full and abundant life that Jesus offers? What if? I don't know about you, but the truth is, I've learned a lot from what-ifs. Especially from those what-ifs that are filled with regret. And so I've begun asking the question more and more of myself. And no doubt I'll wake up on Friday morning and ask myself again, what if? But I want to ask it with a sense of hope. A sense of anticipation. I want to look at myself again as that, that is not a photograph of me. I came across that and I thought, blink your neck, that does remind me of myself. <laughs> but I want to recapture a sense of that kid who did wonder, 
what could be? What if? See, what if we, as a church family, pressed in together as a community of God's people that are Mariah Baptist Church to discover and experience the abundant life that Jesus has for us? What if we consciously and deliberately decided to do that? What if that was what you and I would determine we will give the remaining years we have here on earth to? That we will knuckle down and get serious about Jesus and about living for him? What if, what if your or my final decade or decades here on earth were given wholly over to Jesus, whether you're a mum, a dad, a grandma, a granddad, an uncle, a brother, a sister, a parent, married, single, divorced, working, unemployed, retired, whatever. What if we gave everything to him? I start to get excited when I ask those kind of what-if questions. Maybe right now you're, you've already latched on to something and you're thinking, oh yes, maybe, what if? What if you came on Wednesday night for five weeks? Five weeks, it's all we're asking for. Five weeks for you to engage with other women and men from this fellowship and with the Bible and with some great teaching and just spend time immersing yourself in God. What if? And on the heels of what if, in the hopeful, aspirational, exciting sense. What if then we're left asking, well, okay, what's now? What do we do now? What are the next steps we need to take then to make this stuff count? What do we do to experience the abundant life that Jesus said he comes to give? I think you see that the sadness that many of us realize is that to experience the life that Jesus talked so much about, we have to let go of some of the things we hold very dear. We need to come back to Scripture. We need to understand again just who Jesus is and what he's asking of us. We need to lay aside the trappings of success and the trappings of religiosity and come back to a true understanding of who Jesus is and what he demands of us as we get on and live out our very normal lives day by day with all the responsibilities we've got. What if we did that? What if we determined that we would get serious about Jesus and what he wants from us and of us and then did all of that as a mum, as a dad, as a grandparent, as a retired person, as a working person. What if? 
Well, we need to come back to Scripture to see again what Jesus said, to understand what he taught, the parables and the stories he told, and then take conscious and very deliberate steps to step into what he calls us to do. Some of it will mean that we've got to wrestle with stuff. It's not all easy, peasy, lemon squeezy. We've got to figure it out. This is the 21st century. But what do Jesus' words mean as we walk the corridors of work, as we shuffle down the halls of school or college, as we sit behind a desk, as we stand uh, on a factory floor, as we queue at the supermarket, as we wait in line at the post office? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, Trevor's going to come and he's going to read for us a little section from Matthew's Gospel. And I want you to listen carefully to what Jesus says here about the reality of following him. Thanks, Trevor. Our reading is found in Matthew chapter 16, and we shall read from verses 21 to 27. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day be raised to life. Mm. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gain the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Mm. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he <coughs> will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his glory. Now may God grant wisdom and understanding. Mm. Thank you, Trevor. 
I love that little section of Matthew and that little section where Jesus is talking again to a guy that I guess many of us have fallen in love with. We've looked at Peter so many times, haven't we, over the years. Did you notice what Jesus says there in verses 24 through to 26? He speaks to his disciples and says, look, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Jesus often speaks in a way that is diametrically opposed to the culture of his day. He speaks in ways that aren't just diametrically opposed to the culture of his day, but indeed to our culture. Here's a guy who takes things and literally tips them on their head. He speaks in ways that are quite the reverse of what you might anticipate. It's what Beasley Murray has termed the upside-down kingdom. This is something totally different, totally counter-cultural. It can be difficult sometimes to make sense of what on earth Jesus is on about when you first hear some of the things he says. So here, if you want to gain your life, don't follow along with everyone else and what they're trying to do, but rather let go. I love the way that Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrase, has uh, interpreted these verses. He puts it like this. Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? He's done a good job there, isn't he? I think that captures the upside-downness of Jesus. This is radical stuff. It's no wonder that the message of the Christian gospel is having such success at the moment amongst many young people. Because young people love to get behind a cause. They love to get behind something and someone who's radical. And Jesus is the most radical person who ever walked the face of this planet Earth. And here's Jesus saying... If you want to live a full life, an abundant life, the life that I have to offer you, then you have to realize it's an upside-down thing. It is counter-cultural. It is very different from anything else you may be used to. In other words, we might want to say that Jesus is calling us to live by a different rhythm. He's calling us to have a different beat to the way we live life. 
whilst everyone else is trying to run their lives and make sure that they've got this and they've got that and this is steadfast and this is in place and they've got this and they've got that and make sure that everything is just so, Jesus says, let it go. Let go of the control of all of that. Just give it to me and walk with me. And I'll show you how to have life. That's radical. For a generation such as mine, such as many of you, for a generation of young people that are meeting upstairs with Pastor Tim and Catherine Williams right now, this is radical stuff. Come, follow me. Let me lead, Jesus says. I'm in the driver's seat, not you. And I'll show you how to live differently, by a different beat. Now, as I've shared with you many times before, every Friday, Jane and I, and often nowadays, Pastor Tim as well, meet to plan Sunday worship. So, Jane is my go-to for all sorts of things. So, I said to Jane this week, have you got one of these? Do you know what this is? A what? A metronome. Now, metronomes are brilliant things. The only time I've ever seen one of these is in school. So the fact that Jane had one of these reminded me, you see, that she was a school teacher. Because it's the kind of thing a school... Now, I have to be honest with you. Confession is good for the soul. When I was in school, we used to love metronomes. Because we used to read the music department and set them all off at different beats and hide them under chairs and behind cupboards and so And the teacher would go berserk because no sooner had she found one than uh, there was another one going off. So metronomes are interesting things. You'll know that if you've uh, ever learnt an instrument, it's a useful thing, particularly if you've learnt the piano. This is what helps you keep the beat. This is what helps you keep the rhythm. So uh, here we go. We can get this going. Yeah? Got that? And then uh, you can uh, increase it by just lowering that. Got that? Let's try that. You're going too fast? Keep in step with it. Come on, Nino. I'm watching you. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. Come on. You keep going at that now, right? Keep going. Now pick up that beat. Shh, too fast. Listen, listen carefully. Pick it up. That's it. So it's, a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting little device, isn't it? You're rubbish, by the way. You really are. Um, it's it's a fascinating. You're not rubbish at all. It's a fascinating thing to try and 
understand that rhythm and beat in music is, is so important. We've noticed it, haven't we, Jane, on Sunday mornings, if Wayne isn't with us. And so if, Wayne, if Wayne's in a bit of a bad mood, that can throw everything. Because if he starts thumping the drums in a way, poor Jane and Becky and all the other pianists are trying to keep up with him. But if he can get the beat just going nicely, it helps the other musicians to stay in beat and hopefully encourages us lot to sing a bit better. Uh, you may have seen, let me just uh, show you this. Listen carefully to this. This is a intro. Of professional Two, Christian musicians. Three, I think with us at times is that we have the wrong beat. We've lost a sense of what the rhythm is Jesus wants us to play at. We are out of kilter with him. It's all over the place. It's like Jesus is playing one thing and we're playing and ever feel like that? Because I've got to be honest with you, I, I do for myself. And it's at times, you know, that I come back to God. And it's like he says to me, listen, listen to the beat, Mark. And I have to work hard to get myself back in rhythm with him. Now, Paul talks, doesn't he, about keeping in step with the Spirit. That's a marvelous description of this whole sense of needing to keep that baseline of our lives as the rhythm of life that Jesus has for us. We often start times in our lives, birthdays come, retirement comes, things happen. New year comes, and we set goals. We have new ideas for a new rhythm of life. We've all done it. Oh, I'll be able to take things a bit easier. But as many of you know, the reality is that whilst life in your 40s can seem a bit like this, and we long, don't we, that life in our 60s might be like this. Now you're laughing because you know the reality is it doesn't happen. The beat so easily becomes distorted. The baseline goes. We muck up. 
the human predisposition to always muck things up. We have good intentions, but then it goes wrong. The rhythm gets thrown. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to be more faithful at church. I'm going to give a tithe. I'm going to go along to those five weeks. I'm going to join a connect group. soon gets disturbed. Some of Jesus' teachings sound really good. Lots of people would want to say, yeah, if you could live like that, wow, what a beat. What a rhythm to life that would be. Yeah, and many people, I take many a funeral where things like this are said. He was a good man. He did good things. He'd never see you wrong. And you look at Jesus' teaching, love your neighbor. Who wouldn't say that's a good thing? Good grief, of course it is. Give to the needy. Care for the homeless. Look after the widows and the orphans. Feed someone if they're hungry. Now those kinds of things are easy to get behind, aren't they? That's a nice little rhythm. That's something lovely. The problem is with Jesus' teaching is that the rhythm isn't always so sweet. Not always so easy. And I think at times we've settled for a rhythm that we are comfortable with, that we have interpreted as correct, when actually Jesus' rhythm is a lot more pacey. Jesus comes, bursts onto the world stage, launches his ministry. And you see again and again, he challenges the rhythm. He challenges the underlying beat of life. He challenges the establishment. He challenges the corporate mindset. So you hear Jesus saying things like this. You have heard it said... But I tell you, it's like Jesus is saying, you think it's like this, but it's not. I'm telling you, it's like this. It's not normal what you've settled for. He wanted to challenge the rhythm, the baseline that people were living by. He wanted to snap people out of it so that they could experience life as he intended so he says things that are radical. Don't store up treasures here on earth. Stop judging others. Because however you judge, you'll be judged. To save your life, you've got to lay it down. You've got to take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of somebody else's. It can sound crazy. But it's a different beat. A different rhythm. It would be easy to write it off. And to say, oh no, I'm just comfortable with the kind of beat I've got, thank you. Well, I want to challenge you. I don't think that's the Jesus way. I think he quite deliberately sets a different groove, a different beat for us. And one that we need to get back to if we are to experience life in its abundance. What if? What if tonight... You and I said, 
okay, we're going to change the beat. What if we aspired to get in line with the rhythm Jesus has for us? To consider his words, not just for a few moments on a Sunday evening, but really dwell on them. Search them out during the week. Open our Bibles. Read through the Gospels. Wrestle with them. To live this stuff out. And be different. What I'm hoping to do with you over the next week or so is just try to unpack this thing a little bit more. To look at how Jesus sets a new rhythm for us. And if you want to read ahead and cram for your finals, as it were, I want to encourage you, go away and read through Matthew chapter 5. Because I want to explore with you, certainly next Sunday if we can, something about the Beatitudes, which I think are a lovely way of seeing how Jesus sets a new tempo, a new rhythm. There, you remember Jesus says again and again, Blessed are, and then he outlines some ways of thinking and acting that are definitely at a different beat, a different rhythm, a different baseline from what the world typically lives by. What would it be like to live that blessed life that Jesus is talking about? Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. What if we lived like we believed that? And we reorientated our life as a fellowship to that beat. Reorientated it as individuals to how we treat our spouses, our siblings. Reorientate how we interact at work with colleagues. Reorientate the things that we think about and dwell on throughout the week. Because if we're to experience the abundant life Jesus offered, we've got to learn to live by his beat. For he set the rhythm of life. Let's pray. I want to give you a moment as you sit in quietness. I'm going to play a beat on this metronome. And as you hear this beat, I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about the things you do, the things you invest in, the things that you set the rhythm of your life by. And I want to challenge you to reorientate it around a different rhythm, a different beat. That tonight you would ask Jesus to set that beat for you. So that you can keep in step with him and with his spirit.